Good morning and welcome to episode 645 of Effectively Wild, the daily podcast from Baseball Perspectives, brought to you by the Play Index at BaseballReference.com. I'm Sam Miller with Ben Lindbergh of Grantland. Hello, Ben. Hello. How are you? All right. Good. Later in the show, Zahadev will be talking to James Wagner of the Washington Post. In the meantime, we will be talking to Chris Swick, newly hired writer at Big League Stew. Hello, Chris. How are you? I'm doing great. How are you guys? Very well. How is the job? Uh, can't complain yet. That's a good thing. But you uh, literally just I've... complained to us <laughs> off the air. <laughs> I no, mean, I was gonna complain exactly, but it was it Sam, was you didn't, complaining. You didn't let me finish. Okay. <laughs> By the time this airs, things are gonna get pretty busy, Sam. All right. <laughs> Fair enough. That is all you complained. That is <laughs> hardly a complaint. More of an observation of the weather. All right. Uh, you're on here because you wrote the Washington Nationals essay for the BP annual this year. Uh, and uh, why don't you just uh, tell us what the thesis of it was. It was an interesting thesis, and uh, you can explain it, and then we'll have the Jason Worth portion of this uh, episode covered. Sure. Well, what I wanted to kind of do is look at how the Nationals had become probably one of the most embarrassing franchises in baseball to the best. And... The most provocative way or the, the biggest hot take that, that I could uh, could muster is the signing of Jason Wirth. And I actually, I mean, it's something I believe, so I, I don't know how much of a hot take it really is or how controversial it is at this point based on his production. But I looked at how that contract has kind of changed the entire franchise, not just uh, with his performance on the field, but also with some of the stuff that he's reportedly done. Uh, in the clubhouse and so I just I found the whole thing interesting because the Nationals were perceived as such losers uh, as as recently as five or six years ago and now they seem to be the favorite for the World Series the last two or three years so what has changed well Jason Worth has come in and made this a new franchise yeah they uh, you say they were perceived to have been losers five or six years ago do you think it was a fair perception uh, I pretty much do I mean you look at where they were under Jim Bowden and the types of players that they were bringing in. I mean, he was taking a lot of chances on, he was dumpster diving basically for like, you know, a lastings millage and Elijah Dukes, uh, Jose Guillen. Suddenly Mike Rizzo takes over and you get, you bring in worth with the signing and it's, you know, the first premier guy that they've brought in in years. And I feel like that just, just the change from Bowden to work to, to Rizzo made a big change. And obviously, you know, I focus on worth here, but if you're going to give somebody uh, a ton of credit for turning the franchise around, uh, you know, Mike Rizzo deserves a, a huge portion of that. He's been fantastic since he took over. So we're doing this series at BP as a preview series before the season starts, uh, looking at what every team is particularly good at as a front office, what they do that uh, they prioritize or that they're exceptionally strong at or whatever. Um, so what is it about the Nationals that they are very good at, would you say? What sets them apart? What sets Rizzo apart? Well, I think if you look at some of the trades he's made in recent years, they've gotten a lot of value uh, without giving away anything major. So like this goes back to Matt Caps for Wilson Ramos. And I know Ramos hasn't really fully lived up to expectations because he's been hurt, but obviously you'd rather have him than Caps. But then you know, you can also look at the Doug Fister deal giving up 
Robbie Ray, he hasn't really turned into much yet. Fister obviously was great for them last year and will be on the team this year. A lot of people praised him this offseason for getting Trey Turner. Well, well, probably Trey Turner. I mean, he's the player to be named later, so we'll see what happens in a couple months. Uh, and also Joe Ross in, uh, in that, that big three-way deal with uh, the Padres. So I, I feel like Rizzo is probably underrated as far as the trades they make, but he's also done a good job of balancing which players uh, receive extensions at the right time. I mean, the Worth deal... Uh, you know, at the time was perceived to be insane. Uh, you look at it now and he's really the him and Zimmerman are really the only two long contracts they have on the books. And Zimmerman really doesn't get paid that much money per season moving forward. So he's done a good job balancing the veterans with the young guys recently. So Sam mentioned that this has been the World Series favorite, it seems like for a couple of years, few years now. And so there's this perception maybe that there has been a disappointing element to the way that the team has performed just because they haven't fulfilled that expectation yet is there anything to that is it just a just a matter of the old line about the playoffs being a crapshoot and you get there and that's all you can expect of a team I mean is there is there underperformance or is it just baseball this is the way baseball works I think for the most part it's just baseball I mean you look at how they performed last season against the Giants and just seemed like the Giants were getting those blue pits to fall in all the time. The Nationals couldn't get a hit to save their lives. And and also, a lot of their players went in the tank. I mean, I think Harper was really the only offensive guy uh, to have played well. But the pitching was there. I mean, the pitching w- was solid. And, you know, they a couple things go their way. They, they could have pulled out that series, probably. I, I think some of it is, you know, the, the local uh, fans are displeased about the expectations and a lot of that has to do with Steven Strasburg and the shutdown a couple years ago they feel like oh that was our chance and and the front office and Mike Rizzo kind of ruined it and with hindsight I'm not really sure what to make of that because Strasburg obviously has stayed healthy and been fantastic Um, but the more and more I kind of view the playoffs and what we saw last year with two wildcard teams making it all the way to the World Series it probably pays to just go for it anytime you have the chance. So I guess that's what they're doing then. When Sam and I talked about the Scherzer signing, we speculated, as everyone did, about whether there would be a subsequent trade. And we said that maybe whether or not there would be a subsequent trade would color our perception of the the wisdom of that signing. And there hasn't been a, a subsequent trade. They are just going for it with this super rotation. So is that... Wise, uh, clearly it, it makes them better for right now, but balancing the future and the present, do you think that this is the smart thing to do? I think based on how many key free agents they have going into next season, uh, I, I agree with the move. I mean, you look at, they could possibly lose Fister, they could possibly lose Desmond and Zimmerman. Uh, I guess Clippard was another one, but they dealt him. But but those three guys, I mean, that those are three pretty crucial guys to the team. Zimmerman and Desmond, in my mind, as long as they stay healthy, are going to make probably over $100 million on the market. Desmond mainly because you don't see shortstops get to the market uh, at, that, at that point in their careers. And Zimmerman's track record, I think, speaks for itself. Um, and on top of that, you know, you have, you have Strasburg to worry about in a couple years. And then, obviously, you'll have Harper in a couple years. So you might as well, <laughs> you might as well just go for it now before you have uh, key members of the core leaving. 
Yeah, so you mentioned that this team hasn't locked up a lot of people long-term, and right, there's Zimmerman, and there's Fister, and there's Desmond, and there's Denard Spann. So is this a, an ending at all? Is is there a sense that this needs to be the year, or can they can they be back? I mean, will they bring these guys back? Do they have the, the financial wherewithal to bring these guys back if they want them, or why haven't they tried to, to extend them to this point? Well, I know that they've they've talked to both players. Uh, that's been reported. Uh, you know, Desmond. It seems like at this point is probably going to hit the market. He did, it seems like he's not getting the deal that he wants from the team. I'm not I'm not sure what the situation is with Zimmerman. I mean, he's a little quieter just in general, and so there's there's not a lot coming out from from his camp. I know they have tried to work on a deal with him, but but nothing's happened. Uh, you know, I would say. For what it's going to cost, Zimmerman's probably the safer option, which is kind of weird because he's a pitcher and you don't usually say that. Um, but it, but it's hard to kind of trust Desmond's skills going forward, I think at least. Um, so so I do think, you know, if they're going to try, uh, Zimmerman would be the smarter guy to lock up. But, you know, I almost get the sense that we're not going to see a signing now and we're not going to see a signing midseason and these guys are probably going to hit the market. And, you know, if, if the Nationals win the World Series and that gives them those players maybe a little more loyalty to the franchise, I could see uh, a push to bring those guys back. And if not, uh, then I think they'll be happy to take the draft picks and uh, you know try and fill in during the next offseason. It really feels like that's uh, the the in, well, I, I don't know if it's inability or unwillingness or what to lock up some of these guys is one of the kind of most striking things about this team. I guess they. They locked up Geo when he was pre-arbitration, and then they locked up Zimmerman after he was in arbitration. Um, but like you never hear about, you know, Harper or Strasburg uh, being in any kind of discussions. Uh, you know, obviously you talked about Desmond and Zimmerman. Even Danny Espinosa would have made sense as a extension candidate uh, early on in his career before everything went crazy. And Rendon would be right now, but you just don't really hear about it. Is this just kind of what happens when you? when half your team is represented by Scott Boris or is this a, I mean, are they kind of, do you think that they have a different mindset on this stuff than most of the league currently seems to be moving toward right now? Well, I think the Boris thing plays into it a a fair amount. I mean, the nationals, um, you know, they seem to have a great relationship with him. Obviously they continue to take his clients in the draft and they continue to work out deals with his clients and they'll sign his clients on the free agent market. But, you know, as we've seen, Boris is a guy who likes his his players to get to free agency. So, yeah, I think I think that plays a big role. The other part is there's not a lot of pressure to extend a guy like Rendon at this point because he has so many years of control left. Um, and and while you you could push for that with Strasburg and Harper, again, it's the whole Boris thing. It's that you know those guys are probably going to hit the market and those guys are going to make boatloads of money when they get there. Um, so. Yeah, I, I just I think it's a they're a victim of circumstance in that point. You you take so many Boris clients, you're you're probably getting good players, um, but you pay the price by the time free agency rolls around. What's your what's your personal probability of Bryce Harper being a monster and winning an MVP? What is it today compared to two years ago? Say, I think it's probably higher than it was two years ago mainly because I when he's healthy I've, I've seen him dominate mm-hmm. so I yeah I feel pretty confident that that he can live up to 
all of the hype. And, wait, you know, wait, wait, wait. I'm... I have to interrupt. I have to interrupt. Higher? It's higher than it was two years ago? Yeah, you yeah, because... It's more likely than it was two years ago that he will become a monster. I think so. Because I've, I've actually seen him perform well against Major League Pitching. Uh, I think you've seen some growth from him as a player uh, as far as, you know, there were injuries early on from him, you know, going all out and hustling. I think he's come back a little bit on that. It, it seems like, uh, you know, and, I, and this is from afar, but it seems like he's done a better job controlling his emotions as far as uh, getting angry after a strikeout or something like that. I mean, it seems like he's just a smarter player in my mind, and maybe the injuries have kind of forced him into that. But, yeah, I, I feel more confident. I feel like, you know, this this could really be the year. I feel like it's really a matter of health with him. If he's on the field, the performance is going to be there. He's going to be fantastic. Can I – I just want to give the counterargument, which is that his strikeout rate is getting worse and worse. His walk rate is getting worse. His defense is getting worse. His power has gone down. And he used to be, like, really fast and would steal bases and do those things. And now he's not. He's sort of already big and kind of slow. I mean, I I think that he is still probably, like, a, a really good bet to be an MVP in the next five years. But, like, you know, I, I two years ago I had no doubt at all. Right now I feel some some worry, some concern. If I were... Like, if my whole life savings was in Bryce Harper stock, I would be, like, a little bit sweaty right now. Well, I think part of that is just the injuries. I mean, there, there's a big knee injury a couple years ago, and that's obviously going to keep him from stealing a ton of bases. Um, but I still feel like he has he has that aggressiveness. I mean, he's going to take the extra base when he can. So I feel, I feel pretty confident that the steals will come back. And then last year with the hand uh, and the thumb, you know, that's going to impact his hitting. So I think... I still think all that potential is there. I just think he's had some rough injuries that have kind of pushed down his numbers the past couple of years, and that's why maybe you're seeing the decline more so than um, he's actually getting worse as a player. I wonder how often players are injured as often as as he has been from 19 to 21, and and then you know put that completely behind them and don't have injury issues. Because in a way, you you might even think that the injuries causing the performance to go down is even worse because health is. Uh, you know, arguably, maybe even a more important skill um, at at that age. Yeah, no, that, that's a fair point. Uh, I mean, I'm I'm from Chicago. I've seen what's happened with Derrick Rose the last couple seasons, and you know, you have that many injuries early on, especially to in his case a knee, which Harper also had a knee injury. Um, you know, you might not come back the same. So I, I definitely see the concern there. I guess just just watching Harper play, I don't get a sense that he's necessarily slowed down just yet. So I feel feel confident i really need him to hit 50 home runs in the season so <laughs> I, I won't a, go i won't go that far okay i really i really need it to happen though so if you could go that far it would make me feel a little better for a minute <laughs> i i made the worst bet of all time and <laughs> I, have to, I have to live with it for 13 more seasons unless he hits 50 what was that bet refresher reverse that came up on an early episode i think of this show i bet somebody that harper would hit 50 home runs at some point in his career and for every year until he does it, I have to buy this person dinner. And for every year after he does it, I am bought dinner And <laughs> during the course of the 15 years. So I, uh, I potentially have 15 dinners on the line. Yes. Huh. You should have stipulated that era adjustments would be applied to the home run total somehow. So well, that if league offense declined, but relative to the league, he was still at a certain level, well, it would count. What, 
the problem is that when I made the the bet, offense already had declined. So I was hoping. <laughs> I, my, part of the bet was my thinking that offense would go up at some point, and uh-huh. you know, maybe six years from now we're in a booming, booming economy, and fifty home runs is easy again, maybe. And so I, I didn't want to bring that up. Uh-huh. <laughs> 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 it's hard to project the future. Um, so I, know, I mean, if he goes to the Yankees, like every Yankees fan tweets twice a day, uh, that would certainly help. I mean, I've kind of been thinking that might save me, mm-hmm. but that's still, you know, four years away. So obviously this team is at the top of all or most of the projection systems. This is the second to last preview we are doing. So not quite at the top of Pakoda, but close. And there is the consensus that, that the nationals are the best team in baseball. So what is the weak spot or what? qualifies for a weak spot for Washington? Well, I think the weak spot is is probably second base. I mean, with UNL Escobar, I, I guess that's the weak spot. The the If I can get away from maybe one position, it's probably the depth, which is kind of getting exposed already with a lot of these injuries. Uh, Anthony Rendon might not be ready for opening day, so they're going to have to go with some combination of Ian Stewart or Kevin Franzen at third. Uh, UNL Escobar had some issues early in camp. I think he'll be fine, but you know, Danny Espinoza as a full-time player really hasn't done much yet, and if he's forced into action, that could be problematic. Uh, you have Worth in the outfield and Denard Span already dinged, and it's it's not really clear who's going to fill in behind them. Uh, you have Michael Taylor, but he's probably going to go to the minors. The team signed Tony Gwynn Jr., uh, and he's kind of getting some buzz at, as a guy who might make the team, so that would kind of put him in a position to start the year early. Uh, and at first base, I mean, Ryan Zimmerman, you know, he's had his injuries the, the past couple of seasons. So uh, I would say that that's the big concern. I mean, if Rendon struggles to get healthy, he was such a key contributor last year. If Worth struggles to get healthy, uh, we already know Span's going to be out a month. This is a team that could be playing with a lot of parts out of order for the first couple of months of the season. And, uh, you know, that that would really put the pressure on Harper to start living up to that MVP uh, hype that he's had his whole career. So let's say that it's July 31st and all five starters are healthy and pitching well. There's not a, a hint of trouble on the horizon. And even just for good measure, Roark is, is healthy and pitching well. Does it, is it tempting, even if they're in first place, even if they're looking at October, is it tempting at that point to trade Jordan Zimmerman or Doug Fister, knowing that you're not going to need all five of them for the postseason, knowing that you've got some insurance in Roark, knowing that, you know, Fister's basically going to be wasted in the in the bullpen and thinking that you can really cash out like that. That's a potentially a really big trade piece uh, for the future or for that season. Do you think it's tempting at all? Or on July 31st as a competitive team, just hoarding anything they can, no matter how redundant it is. You know, I think it does make sense to look into deals, especially with Fister. I feel like you're not going to see Zimmerman get traded. Uh, it, if the situation is that great because of the Strasburg shutdown a couple years ago, they're just going to go with their best guys. If they're getting into the playoffs, they're not going to screw around. You're going to get Scherzer, you're going to get Zimmerman, you're going to get Strasburg, and then in that fourth game, you're going to get Geo. Uh, so I, I could see them maybe dealing Fister at the deadline, just throwing Roark in there for a couple of months, and then obviously putting him back in the bullpen. But I, I just don't see it with Zimmerman. I mean, I, I think the, the fan outrage would be, really great after what happened in Strasburg's uh, year back from Tommy John. Does Roark's stuff lend itself to being a bullpen monster while he's there or or not as much as a Wade Davis type? Yeah, you know, I'm not really sure. I mean, if he gains a couple of miles an hour, 
uh, on all of his pitches. I, I feel like he can be pretty dominant. I'd love to see them use him as more of a long guy, but I, I feel like we say that every year about somebody and no manager or team ever does that. I mean, you don't see a reliever get 100 innings all that often. So, yeah, I mean, I I think his stuff, it, it all depends on whether his stuff plays up. And, and honestly, I couldn't tell you if it's going to do that at, at this point in the year. Um, you know, he's a guy who gets by on a well-placed two-seamer, and you don't typically think of that type of guy as maybe a dominant reliever who's going to get you a ton of strikeouts. But obviously, if he starts throwing that sinker at 95, you know, that could change the type of pitcher he is. So uh, I'm willing to wait and see on it. I, I think he'd be fine as a five starter. And, I, you know, I don't I don't think he'll kill them in the bullpen. But I don't know that he'll be dominant in the bullpen. Mm-hmm. What do you think a realistic expectation for the rotation is? Because it's really, really easy to imagine the best case scenario and the best case scenario would be fantastic. All of these guys pitch 30-something starts and they're all pitching as well as their career stats would suggest that they pitch and it would be fun and dominant and every day you'd have the potential for a really fun outing and that'd be great but what is the realistic expectation like how many what's the baseline number of starts by these five guys that you think it's safe to expect if you were to to project based on the the risk that we know that every pitcher represents oh boy uh well i would say I'm most confident in Scherzer and Zimmerman, I guess, carrying the load because both guys have done that before. Uh, you know, Strasburg is kind of the, the wild card in that his performance, uh, he can be the best pitcher in this rotation, prob- probably. Um, but he has kind of been outperformed by Zimmerman at this point. I mean, it's definitely you could definitely see it that way. So... I have some concern maybe with his innings. I mean, he doesn't typically go deep into games, and I don't know that it's – I'm not saying he can't do that, but he just hasn't done that over his career yet. You know, Gio's kind of a wild card too because of the walk rate. Uh, last year he missed some time with arm trouble, and he wasn't throwing as hard when he got back, although he was still effective. So, you know, that's a bit of a question mark, um, you know, whether A, he stays healthy and, and whether his performance uh, remains at an elite level because, you know, when the Nationals first got him – uh, he started throwing a little bit harder, and his stats all went up, and, and now it's just kind of a matter of retaining that. Fister is probably due for some regression. I mean, his numbers were a little crazy last season, and he also had some arm trouble. Um, he's also, you know, the oldest member of, of the staff. So I, I would say at the back end, you know, I'm a little worried about Fister from a performance standpoint, although he continues to kind of just surprise people every year. Uh, Gonzalez you you worry if he'll be merely good instead of great and then Strasburg he'll he'll probably be good but you'll be left hoping for more I guess would be kind of the worst case which is what's happened with him his whole career and what did you think of Matt Williams year one what did you think he did well or what what would you like to see him do differently I think things started out pretty rough for him uh he tried you know the some of the Harper comments early on were tough to deal with. He, he got on Harper quite a bit. And maybe, I, I don't know, you know, I wasn't in the clubhouse. Maybe Harper needed that. Towards the end of the season, though, I thought Williams had done a better job with his roster management, his bullpen management. Harper wasn't batting sixth or seventh anymore. Uh, and then he lost all that goodwill in the playoffs. So <laughs> I, I think he improved as the season went on. It's just, you know, his mistakes got magnified to a huge level. I still don't think I would put him in the top half 
uh, of the managers in the league just based on what I've seen. But he showed enough improvement last year that I, that I think there's potential for him to get better, especially if he learned from some of those postseason mistakes. All right, so give us the predicted win total and where that puts the Nationals, although maybe once you tell us the predicted win total, the, the second answer will be obvious. Yeah, I, I think they're going to win the NL East, and I think I have them with 92 wins this season. Mm-hmm. I wanted to go higher than that, but I'm going to go with 92. So that's interesting because, you know, as a principal, I I won't ever predict a, a team to win 100 games or something. You know, you'll hear people say the Nationals could win 105 games, they could win 110 games, or they're they're going to win 100 games. And it's just so hard to do that. No one has done that in a few years. If if anyone were to do it, it would be them probably. But but there's so much that can go wrong and so much that's unpredictable. Is that your philosophy? Is there ever a team that you would project to be better than 92 wins? Or is it actual weakness in the Nationals that factors into that prediction? Yeah, I guess there's two things that factor in. One is all these early injuries. I could see, you know, knocking them down a couple wins. Um, but also... Now that I'm I'm with uh, Big League Stew and Yahoo, we had to project out every team, and that'll those predictions will be out at some point the week this airs. I don't know if it's Monday or later in the week. Um, but you predict a team to get 100 wins, and, and you're taking a lot of wins away from other teams, so it's really tough. I mean, you you have to think some teams are really going to be awful if you want to give another team 100 wins. And so I just found it was it was safer. I took the easy way out basically. And just, I think I said 92 and that was good enough for me. And that was good enough for them to win a division. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's hard for a team to retain the favorite status for, for very long. And they've had it for a while now. So do you think that we will be talking about the nationals the same way next spring? I think it will depend on what happens with all of those potential free agents. I mean, I, I find it hard to believe that they're going to return a team with this much talent next season. Uh, however, the NL East doesn't necessarily look strong, although the Marlins and Mets, you know, based on what they do, could get themselves into that conversation. I think we'll still be talking about the Nationals as possible favorites in the, in the division, um, but I don't think they'll have this talent again in probably a, a long time, just based on who's set to leave. All right. Well, thank you, Chris. Thank you, guys. So you can read Chris at Big League Stew. You can find him on Twitter at Chris underscore Swick, C-W-I-K. After the musical break, you will hear Sahadev talking to James Wagner of The Washington Post. Welcome to the second half of the Effectively Wild podcast. I'm Sahadev Sharma, Associate Editor for Baseball Prospectus. With me is James Wagner, Nationals reporter for the Washington Post. James, thanks a lot for joining me. I appreciate it. Uh, we we know that the newcomer, Max Scherzer, is getting the start for the opener. Uh, you, I guess you could make an argument for any of those top three guys with uh, Scherzer, Strasburg, and Zimmerman. Uh, rather than looking at it as a rivalry or maybe even any of those guys being bitter, the, the other two being bitter since they've been around, uh, are they kind of embracing this and saying, listen, we have three number ones and any of us could be the opening day starter? Let's just uh, This just shows how strong we are? Is that kind of how they're looking at it? Yeah, I mean, like, it's a, it's a team mentality. And in fact, actually, like, they've been more like, 
all five of us could be a pretty good big starters. Uh, you know, I mean, I think objectively, really, it would be only those three guys that would really get the serious consideration. Uh, but I mean, if you think back, like, they're all very accomplished. Doug Fister, um, you know, led the team in ERA last year. Uh, Gio Gonzalez, uh, you know, was a 21 game winner in 2012. Uh, Jordan Zimmerman's arguably their best pitcher of the last three years, their most consistent pitcher, and was probably their best starter, not probably, was their best starter last year to a no hitter. Uh, I mean, a very strong case for him as like the sentimental, like underrated guy. Uh, in Strasbourg, he's done the last three years. Uh, and then Max Schroeder, obviously, is the most accomplished. Uh, he's a Cy Young Award winner, the only one on staff. So, yeah, I mean, like, there, you can make cases for all of them, obviously, but I think that the strongest ones are the top three, and really they're all, like, it kind of shows their personality. I mean, Jordan Zimmerman uh, hasn't started the last three years, um, and he's a very type of personality. He's very much the type of person that uh, doesn't really care, um, at least doesn't show it. Uh, and I think generally he does not care, actually, honestly, uh, that he doesn't do it. Um, as long as he gets started with five days, uh, it's all that matters for him. Um, Strasburg, I mean, he, he's won, obviously, that was a, a delicate thing. Uh, you know, Matt Williams talked to him. Uh, Strasburg even talked about it, too. He told me that, uh, you know, Max has kind of earned it and that, uh, that he gets it. He gets how it works. That Max is the most accomplished guy, the guy with the big contract. Uh, so give him a shot now. Uh, what's what's the role for Tanner Roark? Is he kind of embracing uh, his new position? Uh, you know, he's kind of he had a great season, and now he finds himself without a rotation spot. How's he reacted to it, and what's uh, what are they expecting out of him? How will they utilize him? So it's like uh, I mean, uh, you you feel like so on a personal level, uh, not even just being around him, but like other people too from afar. You kind of feel for the guys. Like uh, you know, two two eight five ERA last year. Uh, 15, 15, uh, you know, you want 15 games. Uh, and, and honestly, just the, the backstory is how hard he grinded and, and, you know, you know, I really turned his career around in AAA, uh, you know, as kind of a late blooming, you know, 25.6 year old, uh, that really, you know, hadn't really done much. And, and so now he gets a shot. He makes the most of it, uh, and then loses it because Max Scherzer joins the team. So it's like, you feel bad for the guy. Uh, but he, he took it all in stride. Uh, he gets it. He understands, like, uh, that uh, this kid's the team the best shot to win the World Series. Uh, his words, not mine. Uh, that uh, that he was fine with it. Uh, so I mean, he'll be using the bullpen. Uh, really, it's been uh, a tough spring for him. His fastball command has not been where it's at, uh, but the team still believes in him. Uh, you know, he he is a guy that I think that could work well in a relief role uh, because you know he throws strikes, uh, throws all of his position strikes, feels his position very well. Uh, and if he were to you know be a one inning guy. You know, his, his fastball, his sinker fastball, uh, you know, might, uh, might kick up to like 90, 92, 93, uh, when really when he was starting, it was maybe 91, 92-ish. Uh, so yeah, I mean, like, he, he, so far this spring, you, you naturally think he'd be a long reliever and, and he's pitched kind of as a long reliever or two plus inning, but they've also thrown everything else at him. They've thrown in a situation where he came in with guys on in the middle of an inning. Uh, another day he came on and just pitched one inning. Uh, so they're really just trying to get him used to everything. Uh, get him used to warming up fast. Uh, but I don't know. I think during the season, you might see him do more long relief. Uh, I'm not really sure if they've seen him as a one inning guy, even though they think he can. Uh, but I don't know. I mean, if, if he is the backup sixth emergency starter, uh, I think, you know, long relief allows them to, to jump back and forth better if, if he would say as a one inning guy, he wouldn't stay stretched out. On the off, on the offensive side of things, uh, there's there's a few injuries, significant injuries, not maybe yeah. not as far as uh, the length of the injuries, how long the guys will be out, but to some pretty big players in Span, Worth, and Rendon, 
what it sounds like all of them are going to miss opening day or any of these extended periods of time or any of these that you'd worry about maybe be lingering or even when they do return that they kind of hamper the way they they perform so so Ward Spann and Rendon uh you know they, they're all uh Spann for sure uh he he will miss opening day uh Rendon is, is, is looking that way too uh Ward it's still close but I, I think he's just running out of time uh, uh, to, to make opening day, honestly, because of his shoulder. Uh, but I would say, I mean, Stan is the one that would be out the longest for now. Um, he's going, he probably is looking at maybe at that May return, early mid-May, uh, situation. So, I mean, his is like, his is concerning because that was his second, uh, core muscle surgery in three months. Uh, he, wow. he had one in, uh, December and then three months later, uh, had another one, uh, on the other side. So that's concerning. Uh, and I mean, I would be probably, you know, they would probably be more concerned if he was a power hitter. Uh, because that's really his core, his body, the way he twists and turns. Uh, that's where it comes from, uh, obviously, the power. But, uh, you know, he, he's a leadoff hitter, so it still affects him when, when he swings and he runs, uh, throws. Uh, but so far, so good, I guess, in his progress. Uh, we'll see on that one. He's the only one that's really, like, long-term-ish uh, worth. You know, off-season uh, uh, shoulder surgery, uh, you know, he's been swinging the bat, been playing defense. He just hasn't swung a bat in a game yet. Uh, so, you know, he might not be ready in time. Uh, for opening day, just because he really has had the reps, not because he's not feeling good. Uh, and, and the last one is Rendon. And I would actually say his is probably the most concerning, really just because, uh, we just don't know, uh, they don't, they don't know when he'll be back. He, he, uh, you know, sprained his, his MCL and his left knee, uh, diving for a ball, uh, to make a play a third. Um, and, you know, they said at first it would be just a couple of days and that turned out to be an MCL sprain. Uh, and then he really has not played in almost three and a half weeks now. Um, and it just it's still sore, which is kind of why it's a question mark, and I would say concerning because they they just don't know when it's going to get better. It's been resting, uh, so I mean, I think his is, his could cause more ripple effects in the lineup, and actually is causing more ripple effects in the lineup now, uh, just because he was so valuable to them defensively and offensively. Uh, you know, fifth in MVP voting last year, uh, and and just what they're going to do now to to fill his hole because Ryan Zimmerman's the first baseman only now. So you sound like you just plug them back over there. Mm-hmm. Uh, they just have to get creative with how they're going to fill fill that void. I mean, Bryce Harper it takes maybe more heat than he deserves. There, there obviously he came with a lot of hype. You know, he was on the cover of Sports Illustrated as a high schooler. We know he's he's very talented, and maybe with Mike Trout uh, lighting the league fire, he he gets unfairly compared to those numbers. So people don't realize how good he's been. But how is he handling things? He got voted the most overrated by his peers, and I believe it was an SI poll and. He, like I said, he, he obviously is under the microscope. So I'm assuming he, he sounds like a guy that's very confident. So how is he just embracing this and, and saying, I'm going to roll with it and I'll prove everyone wrong, essentially? Uh, I mean, like, I, I think that, you know, like, I mean, well, one, I'll say this. I mean, like, players, whether they admit it or not, they, they hear about this stuff. They hear what people say about them. Uh, you know, whether they don't hear it, someone around them does and, and tells them about it. So, you know, they're well aware of like what public perception is, quote unquote, about them. And, you know, Bryce in that case too. Uh, but I guess in Bryce's case, he has always been kind of cocky and, and ultra confident. I mean, to, to be, uh, to be who he is, to be, you know, first round pick at 17, uh, to, to be, you know, to be, you know, NL rookie of the year at 19, uh, you know, like it, it's like, it's not, uh, it, it takes a certain level of confidence and uh, self-confidence and cockiness really to 
to play against people older than you and to prove them wrong and, and just get to that level. So it's always that's, that's kind of what makes Bryce who he is, the edginess about him and, and aggressiveness the way he plays and, and he is as a person. I mean, he's not like, um, you know, he's well, you know, he's, you know, his teammates like him. Um, and, and, and it's like, you know, and he, and he, and he treats fans well. It's, it's just like, I think he just rubs people the wrong way in the things he says, uh, and just the confidence about him. You know, the thing he said about where's my ring, uh, about, you know, once they signed Max Scherzer and that, that was his reaction, that was his reaction. And I think people just, uh, because of who, because it is Bryce, they, they, they pounce on him for it. Uh, when really, if someone else had said that, and another, you know, a guy that maybe didn't have that background or didn't have the history, I think people wouldn't, uh, pounce on him so much. Uh, but I mean, on top of that, I think just, I mean, Bryce looks and is acting, uh, more like he did in 2012. His body looks leaner. It's not as big and muscular and boxy. He looks like his body did in 2012, like 205 pounds, 210 pounds. Uh, not the 230 pound, you know, big upper body that he had, uh, last year when he couldn't lift his lower legs after surgery, uh, knee surgery. Um, and just like he, he just looks more relaxed and, and, uh, just more confident. I mean, really, this, the thing is that uh, his body has failed us the, the last few years. Uh, the knee injury in 2013 when he banged in the wall in Los Angeles, and then, and then last year uh, when he hurt his thumb uh, diving to third base and, and missing, you know, two months. Uh, so so really, it, it's just staying on the field uh, and, and just being himself, because even when he was coming back from injury, he still managed to put up uh, pretty decent numbers uh, despite his body parts kind of betraying him. With the bullpen, you know, I think you can say this about uh, so many bullpens, uh, but it, on paper it doesn't look I- imposing. But the, easily, you could uh, uh, guys can surprise because that's how bullpens work out. It, is there are there guys that you know could kind of step up in this bullpen that you have identified, and uh, specifically yeah. with Drew Storen, you know, sometimes. He's had some high-profile uh, blown saves or poor outings in the playoffs. How's he confidence-wise, and is this a guy that can just kind of brush that stuff off and, hey, I'm, I'm the closer now, uh, no Soriano to worry about. This is my job, and mm-hmm. I'm going to run with it? I would say, I mean, well, Drew Soren is a better pitcher now uh, than he was in 2012 when that happened. So I guess mm-hmm. if you think back, remember 2012, he had bone chips uh, in the beginning of the season, uh, came back midway through the season and was pitching through that. He wasn't pitching as well, sorry, as fast and as well as he did. And, uh, you know, by the time the, you know, the 2012 class came around, you know, he'd sort of come back and, uh, you know, and, and then obviously game five the way it ended. But, and so he sat on that all winter. Uh, you know, 2013, he had the problems with mechanics. He got sent down uh, and came back as a better pitcher and, and really had the experience of going through the minors, you know, the, uh, you know, the, the swallow your ego, the, 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 you know, get fixed sort of, you know, experience he had to go through. Uh, and he came back at the end of 2013 better. In 14, um, he was one of the best relievers in baseball. You know, one thumb ERA, uh, just the way he was pitching, he was using his changeup better, using his sinker better. He was pitching. He wasn't just throwing. Uh, so, and, and obviously when he took over as the closer at the end of last season, uh, he was 10 for 10. Uh, in safe situations when he took over from Soriano after Soriano got taken out and had his struggle. Uh, so I would say that, that Drew is in a better situation now because he's a better person in terms of experience he's been through and better pitcher. Uh, so yeah, he, he did, he did struggle in, in, in the, he did blow the game, you know, game two in the, in the NLDF against the Giants. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then he had a situation, uh, a day later where he pitched in game three. It, he didn't pitch well either. Uh, but he didn't blow the save. He still managed to get it done. Obviously, he had a bigger cushion. 
but but he says, you know, like, you know, it wasn't like the last game of the season that he had to sit on all winter. He he in game two, I mean, mm-hmm. uh, he got to come back the next day, uh, uh, finished it off, and and so he had that uh, to remember. He wasn't sitting on a bad loss. He didn't lose the entire series uh, because of that. So I guess in terms of I guess all that mixed together, uh, I think he's just better equipped to to handle what's come with him, with him. You know, he's got you know he's come full circle um, as a person as a pitcher to to become the closer again. Um, and I say to, to answer the bullpen question, I mean, yeah, they're they're not uh, they're not as known they're not as many known commodities as they, you know they had last year, uh, you know, with Tyler Clippard um, and maybe Soriano too. Uh, so one Clippard, you know, Clippard's production, uh, not just in terms of uh, you know how well he pitched, but you know the volume of, of innings that he would eat up. I mean, there's a lot to replace, it, and they'll be in a situation where they they need guys to to step up and guys uh, to fill that void. Uh, you know, there's obviously Storin, uh, Casey Jansen, uh, a guy they signed sort of on the cheap, you know, after he had a bad second half of Toronto last year. Uh, we'll see what he can do, but he's someone they think uh, can help fill the eighth inning. Uh, you know, there's Aaron Barrett, Blake Trinan, uh, Craig Scammon, uh, Tanner Roark, uh, Jerry Blevins, and uh, Matt Thornton uh, that could make up the, the, the bullpen. But I would say that Blake Trinan is someone to keep an eye on. He's a high 90s power sinker young pitcher. Uh, that has both started and relieved. Uh, and I think with him in the bullpen, they could be, you know, pretty dangerous. He's someone that could really help provide, you know, a, a really electric, you know, feel to the bullpen with his fastball. Um, he is young, very composed, and, and, you know, team, team officials have been pretty, you know, pretty high and impressive with him, you know, so far this spring. Uh, and, and I would say beyond that, like, I mean, I guess the larger point is, I mean, if you have a really good rotation, you're not, you don't really need, yeah. you know, Four, four innings out of your out of your bullpen every night, though. I mean, that's the plan, I guess, for them. That's the, way, the plan that they've said. You know, hopefully, the having a strong a strong rotation gives them six, seven every time, and they really only have to fill three, three or two innings. Yeah, that's a great point. Uh, I guess Matt Williams took some heat with the way he handled that bullpen in the playoffs, uh, and and maybe you know maybe I'm not sure if that was something that was consistent throughout the season. But obviously you're under the microscope in the playoffs and, and these things get magnified. But it's also the hardest thing for a manager, especially young, you know, newer guys that are newer to the position, learning how to handle a bullpen. Is this something where it's just kind of a learning curve for him? Or is he is he taking heat in, in a larger sense? And, and maybe, uh, you know, that this is this isn't the right spot for him. And, and he may, you know, he, if things go awry this season, he may be on the hot seat. I mean, I wouldn't say they're in the hot seat. I mean, they, I mean, I mean, I guess cross that bridge when it gets there, but I guess, yeah. uh, <laughs> you know, I, I would say, uh, I mean, yeah, he, he knows he got heat. He, he, he caught heat for the way he handled, uh, the bullpen in, in, in uh, game four, then LDS and, and, you know, having Aaron Barrett on the mound in, in the most crucial situation, you know, Barrett being a, a rookie, uh, not really equipped to handle, you know, not really used to, to handling situations like that. Uh, he's never been on stage like that. Uh, his command wasn't going well. Um, and really, you know, you, I guess the philosophy is you, if you're going to lose, you're going to go down, you know, with your best punch. And, you know, in that situation, uh, you know, you know, may, maybe it would have been bring Tyler Clippard in, uh, or, you know, or bring someone else in that maybe had more experience or, or had a better track record. Uh, not that Barrett could have handled it, but, you know, his command wasn't good. Maybe cut bait or, you know, and go with someone else. But I guess that point aside, Matt knows. Uh, you know, he knows the criticism and, and he's addressed it. Uh, but I guess ultimately, you know, he, the way he saw it, it was, you know, these are the guys that I use in that situation. 
Um, I'm only, you know, I'm sticking to what they know and, and I'm, I'm, I'm keeping my faith in them, in my confidence in them. Uh, but I guess, you know, the larger point is, you know, having roles and, and a pre, you know, you know, a predetermined inning is something that was really useful for the regular season. You know, that really helps guys over six months prepare. Like it really, uh, you know, gets, helps them get ready for, you know, I know I'm going to come in two innings or three innings. I got to start getting warmed up. Uh, uh, but in the playoffs, you know, that kind of gets thrown out the, you know, thrown out the door and, you know, you just have to do whatever to win. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, he knows that. I mean, any young manager has to kind of deal with the growing pace of a bullpen. Uh, you know, and early in the season, you know, last year, Matt uh, was getting guys warmed up uh, and maybe not using them. He's warming them up in the bullpen and not bringing them in. Um, and then he got better about that, you know, as the season went on because, you know, you can't, you can't wear guys out uh, in the, in the bullpen and not come in the game that way. But it's one of those things that it's just hard. The bullpen is really, I would say that is a managing, you know, people's personalities, all the personalities in the clubhouse, you know, all the different guys that and managing a bullpen are the, the two hardest things for a manager, a modern manager, uh, you know, keeping everyone's ego and keeping everyone's playing time in check and, and, you know, dealing with that. And then also dealing with the, so many moving overlapping parts of a bullpen, you know, how often they pitched, what are their splits, you know, you know, did, did they pitch yesterday? You know, did I wear them out in this situation? Are we up? Are we down? That, that is a multifaceted, you know, daily basis decision that's really hard uh, to do. Uh, so that's something that, you know, it grows over time. And, you know, Matt showed that he could do that last year. And I guess it's one of those things, yeah, I would just, you know, keep an eye on it this year. But, it, yeah, I mean, the more time he spends around the guys, last year was his first in the organization. Uh, you know, he got to learn about everyone's weaknesses and strengths. Uh, see what reliever was good at this, or, you know, what hitter was good at that, uh, what they weren't good at. Uh, so now that he's got a year under his belt, he's, he's, you know, he's better equipped to know, like, when you can call on guys in certain situations, who handles maybe the bigger stage better, or, you know, who, who is good in this spot, you know. So I would say, like, just having that under his belt will help him, help him even more this year. Uh, before I let you go, I want to, I'm asking everybody this question. It's, uh, it's not the key to the season, but it's, what for you as a reporter, someone that's going to write about this team daily, what are you most interested in? What are you most excited to cover and write about for the 2015 nationals? I guess like, uh, uh, I mean, off the top of my head, the two things that, that always stood out to me is one, uh, you know, there's obviously a ton of expectations on this team. Uh, you know, a lot of people have them, you know, as a, as a world series favorite. Uh, but I guess just, just like the franchise, I mean, one for DC, this is arguably the most important year um, uh, for baseball. I mean, for the Nats in Nats history, this is the most talented team they've had. This is the best shot they've had. Uh, and this is the most important uh, year under, under the current owners of learners. This is the most they've invested in a team. It, it's an important year uh, in that sense. So it's interesting to see kind of just how it plays out. And then two, just, just like what the team will look like in 2016. There are several guys that are, are free agents after this year. Uh, you know, from Jordan Zimmerman, Doug Fister, Denard Span, uh, you know, Ian Desmond, uh, and, and some other guys too. And so it's just, it's a very fascinating time in the franchise. It's just like it, their best shot kind of comes at a time when, you know, they might not have the same group next year. I mean, it, it could look pretty different in 2016. I mean, at least certain parts. I mean, the core will still be the same from Anthony Rendon to Harper, uh, to Worth to Ryan Zimmerman. Uh, Strasburg, uh, but the other guys, you know, could be different. Uh, you know, they could be, they could be younger. Uh, they could spend money on free agency. So I think that's interesting. The whole like uh, idea of, you know, what it could look like this year versus next year. Um, yeah. And I would say that kind of hovers over, 
over the entire season because I mean it's an individual thing from those guys' uh, performances and health and 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 their futures to to how how it weighs in and, and how that weighs in the whole team uh, team season. Yeah, that's definitely going to be a fan, uh, fascinating angle as far as the transition from this season to next season and if they can capitalize yeah, on that these guys. Yeah, not to cut you off there, I just thought I was going to say with injuries, I mean, just the, you know, it's, talent on paper is everything. Uh, and, this, and this team has, has dealt with a fair share of injuries last year, the year mm-hmm. before. Uh, I, I, don't know, I don't know if that's any different or, or more than other teams, uh, but really I would say that one of the biggest things that could stop this team is injuries and not having a everyone on the field at the same time. I mean, their, their opening day roster last year lasted seven innings before Ramos broke his hand. Uh, and then, you know, really did not get everyone back on the field till like June. And then, and then that lasted for like a week. And then everyone, the other guys got hurt again. Uh, and, and so far we're seeing it spring from Span towards the off season, uh, you know, Rendon and spring. It's just like, can they all be together at once? And, you know, they, they still managed to win 96 games despite not having one together. Uh, for a large, large stretches of the season, uh, can they do the same this year, uh, filling in the gaps that way too? Yeah, all that talent on the field at the same time, it could be, could be really impressive. James, before you go, why don't you let the listeners know where they can find you on Twitter, or any other social media you may use, and where they can find, read your work? Uh, so I'm on, uh, Twitter at, uh, uh, at James Wagner WP, uh, the WP for Washington Post, uh, and it's very self spelling on, on my name. And then, uh, obviously, the website, watchthepost.com uh, slash uh, sports. Um, I think there's you know, a blog, Nets Journal, they can read, and, and then plus other stories and, and all that stuff. And you can follow me on Twitter at Sahadev Sharma. Uh, I, to show you how dedicated I am to the BP listeners, I am on vacation right now with three other families in Florida, and I am and I am up in a in a separate room delaying my child's uh, bedtime just so I can record this podcast for all the listeners. And I delayed my drinking uh, as well. So that's that's how much I love all of you guys. And, <laughs> James, thanks so much for joining me, man. I really appreciate it, and uh, and we'll uh, we'll see you during the season. Take care. No problem. Take care, man. Uh, talk to you soon. All right, that's it for the Nationals Preview Podcast. Thank you for listening. You can send us emails for this week's listener email show at podcast at baseballperspectus.com. You can rate and review the show on iTunes and subscribe to the show on iTunes. You can join the Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash effectively wild. There's a long WrestleMania open thread there if you want to talk about how that ended. You can go to Banish to the Pen, the blog of Effectively Wild listeners, where the Wild 4 bracket of recurring jokes and characters from Effectively Wild is now in the round of eight. Voting ends Monday night, so you can vote now. And we have only one more team preview podcast left. It is the Dodgers, and we will bring it to you tomorrow.